So let's pick up from where we were last time. We were in the book of Revelation chapter 6, and we looked at the four horsemen of the apocalypse. But before we continue, understand how the judgments in the book of Revelation work. Uh, they, we're going to be here, chapter 6, beginning verse 9 this, in this message. But the judgments in the book of Revelation unfold like a telescope. You have three sets of judgments. You have the seal judgments, and then the trumpet judgments, and then the bowl judgments. Each set of judgments, there are seven. So there's seven seal judgments, then there are seven trumpet judgments, and then there are seven bowl judgments, the final judgments. So they all unfold like a telescope. So, so far, in this telescope unfolding of the first set of judgments, the seal judgments, again, picture the telescope, right? You're on the first set. We've seen the first four uh, seals have been opened, and it was the first four, or were the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You have the rider on the white horse, which represents false peace, red horse, war, the uh, black horse famine and economic disaster, economic collapse, and the pale horse, which represents death that's going to come to much of the world. I present in my case that I believe much of what this world will experience during the, the judgments of the four horsemen of the apocalypse have to do with men and the development of the new world order that's going to come about that will intentionally bring about an economic collapse and famine and, and, and the other things that are going to happen, including the war. But we pick up from here, after the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and we enter into this evening the fifth seal judgment and the sixth seal judgment. The sixth seal judgment is a judgment that movies and books and apocalyptic kind of uh, TV programs have been written about. So let's see how this goes. You guys ready? Okay, Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. The four horsemen of the apocalypse are done. The four first four seals. When he, that would be Jesus, opened the fifth seal judgment. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, <coughs> excuse me, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, was completed. Well, let's stop here because we're looking at the fifth seal judgment, and we're going to do questions and answers. Remember how that works? I ask the questions, right? And then I give the answers, right? You remember that? Okay. All right. <laughs> Just so we're all straight. First question is this. What is the question? Well, it's right here. Verse 10. They cried with a loud voice saying, how long, here's the question, O Lord, holy and true until you, Lord, judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. When Jesus opens this fifth seal, the attention of John and our attention as we read the book of Revelation, it, it, it's, our attention is taken from the earth, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and our attention is put into heaven on the question that these particular people have, how long until you deal with them who are down there? And John sees something he hadn't noticed until now. He says here, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. 
So that takes us to the second question. Number two, well, if that is the case, who are these people? The ones whose souls have been slain for the word of God and for their testimony. These are the souls of those who have been martyred for Christ. But not all those martyred for Christ throughout church history, right? The tribulation period has not started yet. So there's a lot of people that have been martyred for Christ up until this place that we read about this fifth seal. So the context indicates that these, in chapter 6, in verses 9, 10, and 11, are those who will lose their lives during the tribulation. Because we notice this in verse 10. The tormentors of these people still live on earth. They are still alive. So these martyrs are not the martyrs who have been martyred today or martyred yesterday or martyred 600 years ago. These are they who are martyred during the tribulation period and they look down at their tormentors who are alive during the tribulation period. And they're saying, how much longer, O Lord, until you avenge our blood on them who are down there right now? So who are these people? These are what you could call the first fruits of the tribulation or the tribulation saints. The first set of the tribulation saints, the ones who are killed during the tribulation because they are the ones who rise up against the Antichrist and they are the ones who stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, these are people that put their trust in Christ after the rapture. You know what this is? This is a reminder to share your faith with family and friends and others. Uh, this is also the main reason why, why I teach Bible prophecy. This, uh, the message from Sunday nights, this is hard to believe. This message from Sunday nights, it goes not just on YouTube, it also goes on to his channel. And Sunday night has an audience, last I checked, it was uh, uh, 2 million viewers per week, uh, worldwide. That is a lot of viewers. So when we look at this collectively, we think, okay, why do I sit here and do this? Why do you enjoy Bible prophecy and tell others Jesus is coming again? Because we, we understand something. There are people that will hear the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that will not receive Christ before the rapture. But after, the ra after we are gone, you know what's going to happen? There are people, I'm convinced, some we know that we've shared Christ with that will be part of the tribulation saints. Uh, they're going to hear from us how things are going to go down during the tribulation period. And they're going to start to watch everything unfold. And they're going to have an aha moment. And they're going to go, wait a minute, that's what that crazy Christian friend of mine told me. And I am watching everything develop exactly as he said they would or she said they would. I better make sure that I get right with the Lord. These are, are, are those who didn't receive the truth until after the rapture. There are some Bible teachers that are very good friends of mine, by the way, that say that uh, if you share your Christ with somebody before the rapture and they reject it, they cannot be saved during the tribulation period. I have argued with my friends who said that, and they base it on a passage from 2 Thessalonians that I believe they misinterpret, and uh, I happen to know I'm always right, so I don't worry about that, but, um, 
But I, I love them dearly, but we disagree on some areas. This happens to be one of them. I believe there's going to be many people, and right here we're, we're just reading about them, who are saved during the early parts of the tribulation period. I, I say um, share your faith. This is another reason to share your faith. It's okay if they call you crazy because you keep telling them Jesus is coming back. Hey, Jesus is going to come back. I don't know the day or the hour, but I'm telling you, it looks like he's going to be coming soon, and the rapture is going to take place. So we move on from here. Question number three. How can I be sure that these are tribulation saints? I am so glad that you asked. You ready? Here's the answer. Look over at chapter 7 of the book of Revelation. Verse 9. John writes, after the 144,000, the, uh, the 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel, after they get saved and they are marked, by the way, that's the next message on, uh, on these uh, evening messages. After these things, verse 9 of chapter 7, John writes, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne of the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then verse 13, one of the elders answered saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know, for he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. Aha and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Aha, these are the ones that John is writing about with the fifth seal where he saw the souls under the altar. These are them. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to the living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I love that. Because what we just read about in chapter 6 with the fifth seal, how much longer, and here he says, man, the heat's not going to burn you anymore. God will wipe away every one of your tears. You aren't going to have to worry about the vengeance anymore. Who else are they? Look at this, chapter 12, verse 11. I love this. These are these types of people during the tribulation period where chapter 12, verse 11 says this, and they overcame him, but that'd be the Antichrist. These are they who overcame the Antichrist by what? By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. Uh, these are like those martyrs of all generations who did not love their lives unto death. They would not recant their faith. I love that. Because when I read this, and I know what's going on out there in the rest of the world, this gives me strength. I get a little bit of trials, I get a little bit of difficulty, and I start to whine a little bit. You know, I'm an American. You know, and, and uh, we whine about our California government. And uh, for reasons that, you know, are obvious. But there's really bad stuff out there, right? Okay, I'm going to show you a picture. You are able to close your eyes if you don't want to see it. Um, but it, I'm going to just, 
it's just one that's going to be heart-wrenching. It's the very first one, all right? So if you want to close your eyes, close your eyes. But the reality of it is there are, according to Voice of Martyrs, Voice of the Martyrs, 100,000 Christians martyred every single year in the world. Every single year. 100,000. That comes out to, what, 274 every single day. There's more Christians being martyred for their faith now than in the history of the church since Christ ascended to heaven. The Roman Empire martyred a lot of people, but nothing like what's going on out there right now. I'm going to show you this picture, and this one's heart-wrenching, so close your eyes if you want to. Go ahead. So for those of you who can see this, um, this is horrific to consider. There's no blood here. But I imagine, what would I do? This is obviously in the Islamic world. It came from an ISIS picture. Um, you have a little boy, a little girl. That's your kid. Like that. What do you do? Right? Here's this picture. This is the next one. You can open up your eyes now. Uh, this, this says, and this is hard too, the government electrocuted and tortured my four-month-old baby to death in front of my eyes. Based on a true story. So this happens a lot. 100,000 a year. Um, in the days of the Roman Empire, usually what would happen is the Romans, when they were uh, persecuting the Christians, they would go and uh, haul off a mom or dad or something like that, right? What's happening now is mom and dad are watching as their children are tortured and murdered. I don't think there's anything more heart-wrenching than that. And, you, and this, is, this is the reality. This is, this is the devil at, at work. This, these things are demonic. Uh, then you have this. You have this uh, 1040 window of Christians under persecution. And, and I find it interesting because here in chapter 7, when it came to the ones who are persecuted and, and they become martyrs during the tribulation period, God says they wouldn't be scorched by the sun anymore. Did you catch that? This is like the hottest place in the world in this 1040 window. And this is the place where the most Christians are martyred for their faith. It, it's literally the hottest place in the world temperature-wise where you get scorched. So I find it interesting here in chapter 7, you won't be scorched by the sun anymore. But you look at this, and, and it's horrific. However, I say hallelujah because I know this. Jesus says, I said I would rise again, and I did. I said I'm coming back, and I am. And I say, praise the Lord to that. Let's move on from here. We get the picture of who these people are. Number four, why come to Christ now? After seeing all this, it starts to make sense. Why not wait until the tribulation to receive the salvation of Jesus? After all, being left behind sounds exciting. There's movies, right? There's a... Uh, Books, bestsellers written about being left behind. It sounds exciting. Not being able to buy or sell. Woohoo! Right? Sounds like a great life. Poverty, starvation. Um, if you are alive during the tribulation period and you have the option to take the mark of the beast or not take the mark of the beast, imagine, I think I've shared this illustration before, imagine. You have a child that's got some disease that's curable if they receive one shot. And that one shot costs 50 bucks, right? If they do not receive that one anecdote, they're going to die. There's, there's no other option, right? So 
you're thinking, well, I don't want to receive the mark of the beast because I don't want to worship the Antichrist, but my child is going to die because I can't buy or sell unless I receive the mark. I can't get a shot for my child to save them. You start finding yourself in a really difficult place. Uh, think of it like this. How bad is going to be? Daniel chapter 7 says about the Antichrist, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law. And then the saints shall be given into the Antichrist's hand for a time, times, and half time. That's for a period of three and a half years. Now, the word persecute, that is here, the, the New King James Version adds a footnote and it literally means to wear out. The Antichrist will wear out the saints. Uh, Satan seems to be winning. Um, not against us, although sometimes it seems like he is. Uh, we're going to be gone. But when it comes to the tribulation period, understand uh, how difficult it is going to be. Uh, who would want to live on this planet during the tribulation period? I talk to Christians about the second coming, about these things. And they will tell me, yeah, I kind of want to go through it. I just think I should. I'd say, what are you, an idiot? Well, you are an idiot. You know, I, I, so I look at this, I mean, really? No, you don't want to go through it. It's going to be really bad. And people think, well, I'll go through it. I'm not going to receive Christ now. Why would you not? Think of it this way. If you can't live for Christ now, what makes you think you will be able to die for him then? Right? Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. It is not going to be pleasant. Number five, does Satan win? You guys know the answer to this. No, but it seems like he might. But the cool thing is the rest of the book of Revelation, as soon as we leave this fifth seal, which is going to be in like just a minute, um, we start to find out that, that God turns the tables on Satan and Satan is going to become the biggest loser. In fact, the rest of the book of Revelation is really about Satan losing and, and, and God bringing the hammer down. So all of this takes us back to the original question that the martyrs had. How much longer, O Lord, until you avenge our blood on those who are still living on the earth? Verse 11 says, then it answers this, then a white robe was given to each of them and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. God has a, seems to have a certain number of Christians that are going to die for their faith. And he says, I, I, I'm going to get this number. I don't know what it is. I don't understand why. Um, we know from Rev, uh, Romans chapter 11 that the, the time of the end, God says, um, blindness in part has happened to the Jews until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. There seems to be a fullness somewhere, and then God turns his attention again to the Jews. He's working with them. It's a similar concept here with the martyrs. God is saying there's a particular amount of martyrs. He wants it. When we get to heaven, we're going to get it. We're going to say, God, you're, you're uh, amazing in your holiness and your righteousness and your wisdom. Well, again, it doesn't make sense now, but God has a particular time. God's answer to us in our complaints about justice is similar, or injustice is similar. We say how much longer, and he's saying, uh, hold steady. I will prevail. You're going to get through it. I promise the time is coming well, I will deal with all injustices. I look at things going on in this world. I look at, at uh, 
I think of children being abducted and, and the sex slavery industry. And you start looking at things that are happening uh, throughout the whole world. Uh, the rise of jihadists and, and not to mention things going on in the media and Washington and all over the world. And, uh, and I think how much longer, oh, oh Lord, uh, Jesus come quickly. That's what this, we're told to pray at the end of the book of Revelation. So I do that. But I still don't know. But I can't wait until Jesus writes all the wrongs. I, my heart breaks when I hear of a child abducted or something like that. Or abuse coming to an innocent little kid. It's just devastating. And I think, Lord, he, he is going to right all of the wrongs. Well, this takes us to the sixth seal. So we have the question, how much longer? Ah, now we're going to get to the answer. Question number six, what is the answer? It's, the answer is God's wrath. Let's read about what happened. So here it is. Now the tide all turns on Satan. Verse 12, I looked, and when he, that would be Jesus, he opened the sixth seal, and behold, look at this. There was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth, as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. And then the sky receded as a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place, and the kings of the earth and great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks, of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come. Who is able to stand? I find this kind of ironic. The wrath of the Lamb. I mean, who would ever think of the Lamb having wrath? But this is obviously the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of souls, the Lamb of God sacrifice for the sins of the world is the judge in the book of revelation but as we read about or read about the wrath of god that's here described the wrath of the lamb or the wrath of jesus himself let's understand this in context all right on the cross god the son took the sin of humanity on himself and he paid the price for redemption now that's real love he received god's justice judgment, and wrath for humanity's sinfulness. Doesn't make any sense, but you hear it here often. If you're a believer in Christ, Jesus was judged on the cross for your sins so you wouldn't be judged. He took your judgment. He took the wrath that would have been intended for you. He took it upon himself so that you can be forgiven, so that when you die, you get to go to heaven. That's pretty good. It is what Jesus experienced when on the cross he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As the Father poured out the wrath of the sin of the world upon the Son. Jesus himself took the cup of God's wrath, as it's described in the Old Testament, so that we would be able to experience the cup of God's grace, his forgiveness, and his mercy. And as Jesus was blamed for our sins, we experienced the blessings of his righteousness. That the cross, justice, and grace meet, but most people reject God's grace in Jesus. Okay. So we have to understand the depravity of evil. Or we'll see the sixth seal as God acting in a petty and malicious way. But God never acts in a petty or malicious way. His desire is none that should perish. In fact, 
we often wonder, why are you so patient, Lord? But at the same time, I'm very thankful that he's patient because if he came 31 years ago, I wouldn't be standing here. You know what I mean? I'd be on the wrong side of this whole mess. But God saved me because of his patience. God is never petty. God is never malicious. So what's the answer to the question, how much longer for your vengeance, Lord? The answer is here in the sixth seal, and it comes. After the peace com- uh, the covenant is confirmed with the Antichrist, after the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and then he answers it. There seems to be just great persecution against the Christians during the four horsemen of the apocalypse and following them for a very short period of time where the souls are crying out, how much longer, and then boom, it happens. So how much longer? Question number seven, what happens when Jesus opens the sixth seal? When Jesus opens the sixth seal, everything is shaken. There will be a massive earthquake. Uh, If you've read about Yellowstone, it's a possibility that Yellowstone will have that massive earthquake. The sun will become black. We just read that. The eruption of a supervolcano will have the effect of blackening the appearance of the sun all over the world. We're also told here that the moon will be turned blood red. This is also consistent with a supervolcano eruption. We're also told that the heavens will seem to disappear as the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. So you picture the smoke, and you picture this billowing smoke. Uh, They say when volcanoes blow, um, the, the, the devastation is just absolutely unbelievable. I've read that if the Yellowstone supervolcano blows, pretty much the entire United States risks being eliminated just from the smoke and the ash, because everything is going to be black for so long, will be dropped into a freezing world. It won't be global warming at that point, at least not in the United States. So you start reading these things, and the imagery of the sixth seal starts to make sense. There's a massive earthquake or earthquakes, the sun rolling up like a scroll. Um, and then also, it tells us here that things are going to fall from the sky. Look at verse 13. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Now I take stars literally here. The stars will fall from the sky and they're going to hit the earth. So does that mean the sun, which is much larger than the earth, that's 93 million miles away and is a, is a star, is going to hit the earth? No. But understand this. The word for star that's used here comes from the Greek word aster. We get our English word asteroid. And uh, so this means uh, stars falling from the sky like figs on a tree late in season, shaken by the wind, uh, will be like meteor, uh, meteorites and, and asteroids hitting others. We're hearing all the time now, you read about science reports, that, are, and these scientists, these astronomers, are starting to actually get worried that asteroids are going to hit the planet. Uh, I didn't used to hear that 20 years ago. And now it seems like almost every week another scientist is saying, uh-oh, we might have a problem with this asteroid someday, and so forth. But I want you to think of this when you think of asteroids. There is this area out there, the asteroid belt. And I find this fascinating, the asteroid belt. Now, this is really hard to see on our screens. Sorry about that. This is really hard to see. 
I almost can't even see it from here. So right here, that says asteroid belt, right? So here we have Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, asteroid belt, and then Jupiter. So all those asteroids I showed you in the last picture, this one, um, that. So picture this. In an orbit, these are all going around the sun like Mars and Earth are. Uh, what would happen if God were to uh, suddenly let go of the asteroid belt, right? And that asteroids would start plummeting the Earth like figs late in season when the wind shakes the tree. This is what Job says. I've shared this with you before, but I'm going to share it with you again because I, it's what I was looking for earlier. I remember when I was talking and I said, I'm just going to keep talking because I, I got to find this. It's in Job chapter 38. Listen to these words. This is God talking to Job. God says, have you, Job, entered the treasury of snow or have you seen the treasury of hail, right? Or warehouse would be another way of saying treasury, right? So have you seen the warehouse of snow that I have? Have you seen the warehouse of hail that I have? And then he says this, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, judgment, which I have reserved for the day of battle and war. Woo! So if God gives us this idea in the book of Job, he has a warehouse. Could this, could this be what he's referring to in Revelation chapter 6? Like the, the stars falling from the sky like figs late in the season shaken by a tree. The asteroid belt, I have a warehouse out there waiting for the day of battle. I have a warehouse out there waiting for the day. I'm holding back the earthquakes from going. I'm holding back the volcanoes from going. But one day they will go. The earthquake that's described in, in verse 14 here in... Uh, Revelation chapter 7, the sky receives as a squirrel when it was rolled back in, in the earthquake from verse 12. We see the effects of it in verse 14. Every mountain and island is moved out of its place. Seismologists say that a magnitude 10 earthquake is unlikely, but it is possible. I think when it comes to the time of the tribulation, it's going to happen. And according to the Japan Times, a magnitude 10 quake would likely cause ground motions for up to an hour. That is a big earthquake, isn't it? I mean, you know, living in California, you kind of get used to earthquakes, but, um, or you experience them. I don't know if you ever get used to them, but, you know, the ground shakes, and the good news is you know who's doing the rattling, right? You're saying God's shaking it, so we're good. But, um, could you, I mean, usually they're short. Can you imagine the ground shaking like that for an hour? That would be uh, pretty uh, frightening. And with that, imagine an earthquake lasting an hour and the tsunamis, according to the Japan Times, going on for days. A tsunami and then another tsunami and another tsunami. Um, here's, some Bible scholars say that this earthquake and the mountains and the islands being knocked off their place is a reference to political upheaval. Now, these are my friends... God bless them, who do not take the prophecies of the second coming of Christ literal. I'm going to see some of them over the Christmas time. Pray for me. Pray for them too. But I'm, I'm like, seriously, you know, it, it, you know, if you take the prophecies of the second coming of Christ, about 30% of your Bible is prophecies regarding the second coming of Christ. If you take them literally, it makes sense. 
when you don't, you start to say, well, what's happening in Washington right now is the islands and mountains being moved out of their place, political upheaval. You start, you, you, you start spiritualizing things and saying everything is symbolic. But I'm going to tell you, everything is going to happen exactly as the Bible says it is going to happen. What John saw reflects literal prophecies from the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament, for example, says in Joel chapter 2, verse 10, the earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. Sounds like what we just read, doesn't it? Okay, what else? Joel chapter 2, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the, in the earth. Blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Sounds like what we just read in Revelation chapter 6, right? By the way, the ultimate coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord is at the end of the tribulation of Armageddon when he returns, the culmination of the entire tribulation period. And then Isaiah 34, verse 4, All the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. Again, what did we just read in Revelation chapter 6? The, the sky appearing as a scroll rolling up. All their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine, as fruit falling from a fig tree. Start to see these, the imagery, right? And then we have this. These are the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 21. Jesus himself said, and I, I, I believe Jesus. You know, my friends who say, you know, this is political upheaval, I'm going to say, do I believe you or do you believe Jesus? I'm going to believe Jesus. I mean, take your pick, right? But there will be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and on earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Wow. I think Jesus knows what he's talking about. Men's hearts will fail them from the fear and expectation of things that are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So all of these things fit with what John sees it's literal. These things are going to happen exactly as the Bible says. Okay, two more questions. We're almost done. Number eight, who is affected by this judgment on the earth? Everyone. Good answer. Everyone. Chapter 6, verse 15. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men. That's like all the leaders, all the uppity-ups, right? Every slave, every free man. So that's everybody else hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks and on in the mountains. Kings won't get away. Presidents won't get away. Celebrities won't get away. Politicians won't get away. Ain't, ain't nobody getting away. Last question. Final question. Number nine. What is man's response? Hide us from God. Hide us from the Lamb. Verse 16. They said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. There it is again. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Listen, the people on the earth during this time, they recognize that it is Jesus whose wrath they face. So what do they do? They pray. But they don't pray to God. They pray to the rocks to fall on them. And they also, it seems that they understand that what they are about to face is worse than physical death. But just eliminate us. Get us out, because this does not look like it is good. Uh, these are those who have rejected the forgiveness of sin, and they're going to experience spiritual death of which there is no end. The Bible describes it as a lake of fire or hell. 
But what do they do? They still refuse to repent, and they pray to the rocks. Look at this real quick. This is what happens. This is how it works out. Revelation chapter 9, verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues, this is the trumpet plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Verse 21. They did not repent of their murders or of their sorceries, of their sexual immoralities, or of their thefts. Revelation chapter 16, verse 9. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over the plagues, but they did not repent and give him glory. Verse 11, Revelation 16. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Wow. So you look at this. They know all this stuff is going on. They know it's judgment from God. They still refuse to repent. These are the ones that will know the moment all of this begins, they will recall how they mocked Christ, how they mocked and persecuted his followers, how they made fun of him in movies and ridiculed him in books and magazines and newspapers, how they made fun of the politicians that stand for Christ and the movie star and the football player and the person that prayed for their co-workers. It will be a very painful reality, but they will refuse to repent. Um, it's really simple when you start putting it all together. Jesus said this in John chapter 3, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The reality of it is this, you do not have to face the wrath of God. You don't have to face the wrath of God. Uh, all you have to do is ask Christ to forgive you of your sin and repent of your sin and you will be forgiven. This goes for everybody watching on video too. Uh, for all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, Jesus loves you. Listen, we're going to have a closing song, and this is what I'm going to encourage you to do. All right, if you're here in the sanctuary, come forward. And if, if you want to know that when you die, you're going to go to heaven, you want to know you've been forgiven of your sin, it's as simple as repenting and asking Christ to forgive you of your sin. You don't want to go through this. Why not receive Christ now? You don't want to, are, are you someone who's going to sit there and go, well, I want to take my chances and go into the tribulation period? We already looked at that. That's unwise. It's not, it's not even smart. Um, but listen, this is what I want to encourage you to do. Come on down front and pray with someone. There will be men and women down here during the song or after the song is over to pray with you that you might know Christ. And if you're watching video, ask Christ to forgive you. In fact, if you're watching video, for anybody in here, I'm going to pray right now, and if you want to ask Christ to forgive you, pray with me right now and repent. To repent means to turn from your sin and surrender to Christ. Dear Lord Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin, and I surrender to you as Lord. I thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Listen, now listen, all right? Men and women are down here. You may have prayed that prayer, you're in here, and, and, and Jesus, whoever he calls, he calls them publicly and openly. It's making a stand for Christ. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. If you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. There are men and women.